This episode was recorded on the land of the Ngunnawal people. Welcome to Teach Insights from Catalyst, the podcast that explores the science of learning and its practical implementation in the classrooms of Catholic Education, Canberra Goulburn. I'm your host, Luke Mooney, and in each episode, we'll hear from teachers and leaders who are leading the way in implementing evidence-based teaching practice. In this episode, I chat with Maggie Lloyd, the Assistant Principal of St. Monica's Primary School in Everett, ACT. Maggie has been part of the Catalyst program since its first implementation and has learned a lot about the science of learning, the science of reading and high impact teaching practices or HITP. She shares her insights and experiences with us and gives us a glimpse of what Catalyst is all about. This is a great episode for anyone who wants to learn more about Catalyst or who needs a refresher on the science of learning and reading and HITP. Also listeners, if there's something within Catalyst that you'd like to hear more about, head to catalyst.cg.catholic.edu.au and fill out the feedback form. We'll have a look at your response and see if we can line up a related episode. We look forward to hearing from you soon. So without further preamble, let's jump right to my conversation with Maggie. Hi Maggie, welcome to Teacher Insights. Ah, Hi Luke, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. Maggie, can you tell us a bit about your role in the implementation of Catalyst at your school? Yes, I'm excited to share with you about my role. It's probably a different role to other people in the Catalyst journey. I've been across two different schools and at both schools I've had the same Coglearn coach and that's Tony Hatton Roberts. So that's really allowed for consistency across the two schools. My journey is a little bit unique as well. So I started at St Monica's in Everett um, last year and both myself and the principal were brand new to the school. So to have that similar coach and that um, understanding of how and where the school was at was really helpful in terms of how we then bring in Catalyst. I think for, for me, I see my role more as a facilitator and as a supporter and working with our teachers in how to develop that real clear why behind what that Catalyst journey is all about. So, um, you know, I think that I really enjoy working with teachers. I really enjoy sharing my own knowledge. And I, I feel that I have a lot of understanding around Catalyst. So it's just walking alongside our staff and working with the amazing people that we have at our school who are really in the classrooms and working with our kids on a daily basis. Since the launch of Catalyst, what's inspired you to learn more about the science of learning and the science of reading and HITP, high impact teaching practices? Yeah, my um, my knowledge has really grown um, probably over the last sort of five, maybe six years in terms of, um, you know, where I started to where I am now. And the inspiration, to be honest, actually came from my own children and their learning but I also had the privilege of teaching lower primary. So I taught kindergarten from, you know, across three different schools, but almost for 12 years in a row. So kinder was um, a very interesting year when it came to learning. And I think my inspiration has come from really seeing how those students have learnt more so than what we might've been doing five or six years ago. I think that the beginning inspiration really came from seeing those little people struggle. So 
within my class dynamics, I always had those kids that were achieving higher levels and sort of came to that understanding and realisation really quickly and were getting reading really quickly. And then I had a big chunk of those middle kids that were sort of sitting on the fence and they were progressing but probably not progressing as much as I would have liked. And then there was always those little people that that did struggle. So my inspiration came from wanting to help them more. And I think as well, I also remember thinking, you know, are we really nailing this? Are we really doing a good job? And what could we do to hit that mark a little bit better? I think that myself as a teacher and all the amazing teachers that I've worked with We've always worked really hard. We've always spent lots of time programming and, you know, putting lots of effort into giving the best environment and outcomes and, you know, opportunities for our students. But I just didn't feel like we were nailing it. I think my inspiration also came when I mentioned before, Luke, about my own children and their struggle, particularly when it came to reading. And I think about some of the things that we used to do. (laughs) So, um, My son, I don't know, remember PM readers and all of those types of reading materials that that my children, um, you know, worked with, that whole guessing and cueing. And I remember thinking, or my child bringing home a book and reading it, and he guessed red van. So, sorry, the word was red van, but he actually guessed car. And I remember thinking, why are you guessing He's using the pictures, he's using, you know, things that are around him, but he's not actually decoding. And I thought, I want, I get that the guessing probably is easier, but that's not reading. So I think that's where my inspiration really came to, to learn more about how our kids learn and what's the best way that we can um, make this a more successful outcome for all our students. So to keep up to date with current research... What's some of the literature that you've read or listened to to gain more knowledge about the science of learning and the science of reading? Oh, there's um, <laughs> there's been lots of reading, lots of um, information that has come up and at me in the last sort of five years. But I think the obvious choice is the ones that many of our teachers and, you know, many people that are on the Catalyst journey would already have known and have read um, E.D. Hirsch why knowledge matters. I know that's come up a number of times. I read and I've read quite a few of Ollie Lovell's books. The Cognitive Load Theory in Action was one of the first books that I read to learn more information about science of reading and science of learning. Um, And, you know, your John Sweller's information on um, how we understand concepts better. So that was probably one of the first books. Then I, um, gosh, I've read... Knowledge Gap, Natalie Wexler, Tom Sherrington's Rosenshine Principles in Action, um, Hollingsworth, The Explicit Direct Instruction. So lots and lots of reading. One of the most recent books that I've read is Make It Stick. Have you read Make It Stick? I've heard of it. I haven't read that one. So that's, I think it was 2017 and it's by Peter Brown. I think there's two other authors that are like his brother-in-law or something like that. And that was really interesting because it talks about the importance of learning and retrieving information. So that was one of the most recent reads that I really enjoyed. In It 
touches on mixing up your practice, going back that spaced interleaving. Um, and it also talks about the part that I really enjoyed was embracing difficulty and sometimes that that best learning actually happens when our students find difficult find tasks difficult. I feel that sometimes this generation of students might chuck the towel in a little bit sooner than they, than they need to, but you know embracing difficulty is actually a really good thing for learning. So the book, goes into that. The last chapter was really good too because it just gives lots of um, practical skills and techniques on how to assist students to learn better um, and it can work from a whole range, you know, from your little people right up to high school. So it's interesting with my son, he's now in year nine and I've used a couple of the strategies just to help him when he's studying. So that's a really good book. But in terms of my true love, <laughs> that sounds really silly. You can maybe delete that. Um, one of the things that I love the most uh, are podcasts. And anyone who knows me knows how much I enjoy listening to podcasts. I have a little thing. I feel like I can't unpack the dishwasher or hang out a load of washing unless I'm listening to a podcast. And the way my mind works is I feel like I'm 10 weeks on, two weeks off. So when I'm in educational term time, I use my um, you know, podcast learning as, you know, opportunity, podcast time as an opportunity to learn. Um, I also have a bit of a hike to and from work. And so if I'm not talking to wonderful friends or my mum, I'm listening to a podcast. And I've really seen a huge change in podcasts in the last five years, particularly around the space of educational podcasts. Um, I still remember the very first podcast I listened to around and across, you know, your cognitive science. And that was, um, I, I feel like we mentioned Ollie Lovell a lot, but the ERRR podcast, episode five with Pamela Snow. And that podcast itself spoke about phonics and how we can have this, I think it's the real story is from the students. So that really made me start thinking more and inspired me to know more about science of reading, science of learning. Um, and another one that I look back on or think about quite often or uh, refer back to is when Ollie Lovell interviewed Lorraine Hammond on direct instruction, instructional practices and coaching. So that's another area. A few other podcasts, I'm uh, thinking there's Science of Reading and um, well, what I'm think trying to think here, Luke. Oh, a really recent one that I, well, it's probably not so recent. It's probably now six months. And if you have any people that would like to learn more about, um, you know, what we're doing in Catalyst or the science of reading in general is that the podcast sold a story. So that one was very much um, tore at those heartstrings about how we're teaching and whether or not what we're doing is having that real impact on our students. So for, for people that would like to know more, she's an investigative journalist and she examines how her, her child is, is learning to read. And that's where I kind of thought, you know, your cueing systems like have a guess at the word and cover the word or let's um, look at the pictures. That particular podcast really shares some interesting information. So out of all of these things that you're listening to and you're reading, what's been the most profound learning? In terms of my most profound learning, I don't think there's one thing that I can really put my finger on. But thinking about this question, I think it really comes down to 
the teacher is the most important learner and the teacher is the most important um, part on how we can improve student practice. So that to me, I feel like we have all been to so much professional learning and we've read lots of things, but if our teachers aren't understanding the why, then it's going to be challenging to work on improving students and their learning. So that's probably one thing. I think another thing in terms of profound learning, I don't know about you, but I hear teachers sort of say this quite a lot. And this is more teachers that are really on board and are really um, passionate about your science of reading, science of learning. And that is the, when you know better, you do better. And when you know some of this information and when you're aware of what the evidence and scientific evidence says, you can't not act. So I think that's probably another profound learning. Um, I think that saying, if they can't retrieve, they haven't learnt it. We can't go back and say, well, I taught it to them, but they they didn't learn it. Or, you know, you change year groups and the teacher comes in and the, um, you know, the teacher will say, but I taught them that. I taught them that last year. And I think, well, they haven't, they can't retrieve it. So they have not learned it. So I think that's probably another, um, you know, profound learning. Um, Gosh, I, I feel like I have so much here, Luke. So probably one thing is a hard thing, but I think the other thing is that we need to really nail literacy early. And I think about, um, you know, when I taught kinder a number of years ago, there was that wait and see approach. And we had those people that I mentioned before that sort of sat on the fence and, you know, we'd wait and then they'd kind of make progress and you'd go, oh, they've got it and they're okay. And then we'd sit back and then we'd wait a bit more. And I think, no, the research and the, the learning I have done is that, you know, it's four times more expensive and takes four times as longer to assist a child or intervene when they're older. So we have to be really acting quickly. And I'd say probably the last thing for me is that we really need to look at the evidence. We need to reflect and we need to find out for ourselves what is that evidence saying and how we can best improve practice in our classroom. So for our listeners out there who, who are listening in, um, can you give us like a, an overview of the science of learning? What, is, what actually is this? Oh, okay. So in a uh, Maggie nutshell, <laughs> how and what is science of reading? So without using too much technical language, I think it's the science of learning is just how our students learn best and how we as teachers or educators, what we know about learning to increase and enhance that capacity in our students. Um, it's just considering things like how we would implement new ideas or how we would help our students to retain information, um, things like building upon knowledge. So, you know, science of reading, uh, sorry, science of learning is the fact that our students need to transfer knowledge from, um, this might be a bit technical, but transferring knowledge from that working memory into their long-term memory. So how do we help that? How do we limit um, all the other noise to make that um, more possible for our students? How do we make it less overwhelming for our students? So how, how do we do that? Well, that's a good question, Luke. There's lots of lots of different things that we can do. I think it kind of leads into that cognitive 
load theory about, um, and for for people that aren't aware of cognitive load, it talks about, you know, learning is a change in that long-term memory, which is what we spoke about before, and that how our brain actually remembers things from the knowledge of how we as teachers can assist our students. Um, You might hear teachers refer to that cognitive overload. So basically it's um, how can we reduce cognitive overload and how can we then provide opportunity and experiences for our students to build upon knowledge. I do want to say that cognitive load theory, I use that a lot and I often say things like, that's cognitive overload. Um, I think that we're doing much better the better at it because of Catalyst, but I do think that I don't know if we do a great job when we're presenting ourselves or, you know, there is that I feel like my life is cognitively overloaded. So I'm not sure if I'm succeeding in all areas with that. You mentioned earlier about the importance of review or retrieval. What does that look like within the classroom and how does that relate to the science of learning? Yeah, so to me, it really relates to the science of learning in that we want to make our skills and our students have more automatic skills to reduce that cognitive overload. So the reviewing process is really important um, and it has to be done over time. So we want to do our review weekly. We want to do our review monthly. We want to um, allow that opportunity when the students are starting to forget things that's when we start want to start reviewing things. So we can, again, when I talked before about embedding into that long-term memory. So um, I found this really interesting too, that that forgetting part, when our students and our children are starting to forget, that's when we need to review. So in terms of how we're doing this in our with our Catalyst and in our classrooms, we're doing it in a number of ways. We're providing a lot of programs that are following very clear structure that build upon knowledge every time and make those skills really automatic. So at my school, St Monica's, we're doing um, initial it for our kinder ones and twos. We then have math mastery for our year two to six students. Um, And then we also have spelling mastery. So it's constantly allowing that opportunity and building upon that knowledge to make those skills really automatic. And you've also, am I right in saying that you'll be using the um, Catholic Education, Canberra Goulburn scope and sequence for maths provided by OCA and Shaping Minds. Yes. That embed a daily review process. Yeah. So, you know, we've got a whole range of structures for us at St. Monica's and it's, it's quite interesting too because we only started that journey this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. So week three of term one, which I feel like was, you know, a couple of years ago, but a number of programs that we've worked on to make those skills more automatic. I think the way to sort of describe it is we have for our literacy, our tier one program is for all our K to two students, but then we have tier two, which is our mini and Maclit, so that we're, you know, doing that group, smaller intervention group to really embed those skills. Um, Yes, the spelling and the maths mastery, but we also follow your CE scope and sequence of low variance curriculum. Um, And the thing that I find interesting about the low variance curriculum, like I thought it was interesting because a lot of staff to begin with 
thought that much, many of those scope and sequences were a little bit easy. So, you know, an example could be that um, they were talking about shapes in kindergarten. So I hope that I can use enough shape um, terminology, but a lot of them sort of thought this is too easy for our kinders. They they kind of know it. I don't need to do it. And what then happens is you get to year one and the teacher goes, oh, this shapes, this is really easy. They probably don't need to know it. And then they get to year two and the shapes are requiring you to flip them. They've got vertices, they've got edges, they've got surfaces and that knowledge has gotten a little bit wider and and harder. So when I spoke before about knowledge sticking to knowledge, we want to um, allow that knowledge to build upon every time. And, to, and that then allows for those skills to be automatic, but it also means that cognitively we're reducing the load on our students so they can learn a little bit better. So you're sort of talking about moving towards mastery. And so, Absolutely, 100%. So the impact that this has had on your students and teachers has been profound? It has been prof- profound. I think about having worked across both or two different schools yeah, the impact has been excellent. Uh, one area that I've really noticed from my role and my perspective is that there has been a real shift and change in overhaul, uh, you know, in overall with behaviour, the expectation to learn and our students needing to be attentive is really markably different from what it was even last year. Um, that to me has been quite interesting because there's that ability that to learn you need to be attentive to learn you need to engage so our teachers have just worked so amazingly with our children on those behavior expectations and those um, norms around how we learn best the other area that I find really exciting is the um, academic achievement our children are really beginning to gain ground particularly when it comes to Um, some of the units that we've implemented. So math mastery is one of the areas um, when we started that particular direct instruction program, our students were quite overwhelmed. And, you know, when we talk about learning being challenging, I think they found it very challenging. But now they're really starting to see the success and the growth and they're able to use that knowledge in other areas of their learning. So that's been, you know, a really wonderful thing to see. But, uh, you know, there is still things that we need to improve upon. One thing that at St. Monica's that we're really looking into is extending our students. You know, how how do we work with those amazing students that have that knowledge? How do we extend them? How do we offer more opportunity? For us, it was really about bringing these um, amazing programs in for that and that fidelity and, you know, um, allowing those things to settle and to be in place. And I feel like we've done a really good job of that. And our next step is really working on extending. So we have an overview of the science of learning. Are you able to now give us a brief overview of the science of reading? Obviously, the science of reading is more about evidence and how our children learn to read. Sorry, how they learn to read and what we need to know to be able to help them learn more successful. So how we as teachers can then support that leading, uh, that reading pro- process. Um, I think when you think about the science of reading, it you think about that fluency and that comprehension and that um, all of those reading skills require a complex combination of, um, of techniques and 
the big thing with that science of reading is that these need to be explicitly and systematically taught. I think when you think about profound learning, maybe I should have, I think I, maybe I did say that before, but, um, you know, we always had a clear phonics program, but I think about some of the um, information and that learning behind science of reading and the real main thing for me is that it has to be explicit and it has to be systematically taught to our students. Um, I think probably I'd mention two frameworks that are really important when it comes to science of reading, and that is the simple view of reading and Scarborough's reading rope. Uh, I won't go into too much detail about what they look like, but it's basically, you know, that in order to read, we need to extract meaning from what we we what we read, and that comes through um, converting written words into speech. So that's you know when you're thinking about decoding and then understanding speech, and that's that language comprehension. Um, and yeah, so science of reading, I I think it's a really interesting topic. So I sort of referenced before that we always used to teach phonics. But I can use an example of how we used to do it when I first started kindergarten. And it might be, um, you know, a letter a week. So we'd have, you know, to, this week we're learning about the letter E and the kids would bring in something that started with the letter E and the E sound. And then I think, oh, my gosh, the letter E makes at least six possible different sounds. Um, you know, our students need to learn specific patterns Another example that I can think of off the top of my head is the um, A sound. So your combination as in tray, as in rain, as in cake, um, you know, the A-I is always in the middle of the word. The A-Y is always at the end of the word. And these things need to actually be specifically taught. Um, so, you know, I think that that science of reading is a real change in that balanced reading approach. So when I think about how I or what I used to know about reading to then my knowledge of science of reading and I think that there's been a lot of change and a lot of development around um, how the brain actually learns and that the brain does need to automatically know particular letter combinations and sounds and therefore we must be teaching it, it explicitly. That... It used to be very interesting for me when I first kind of came across this. I was like, but I want my students to love reading and I, I want them to have a, you know, um, rich literature. And whilst I still think all of that is really important, I really think it's hard for our students to love something that they can't do. So science of reading is how we teach reading. And within that too, there's a bit of the background knowledge information that we know now as well that building the background knowledge is also Incredibly important. <laughs> yeah, part of that comprehension process too. Yep, once yep. that decoding has um, taken place. Well, again, it's it's sort of you think about that cognitive overload. If you have a student that is still needing to really think about each letter and each combination, that slows their reading down. And if that fluency is slow, that comprehension isn't going to take place. So it all sort of weaves together. It does. What's it look like in your school? Well, the science of reading, um, you know, from our school, 
probably initially it is one of the biggest things that we've bought in this year. And we, we've we always, we had Sounds Right previously, which is also an excellent program. But the reason we went with initially is because we also have Mini Lit and Mac Lit running alongside. So it made sense to sort of go the whole whole program. So, um, you know, initially it is an evidence-based program um, which just incorporates that synthetic approach to teaching phonics. Uh, and like I said before, it aligns with our mini-lit and our mac-lit. So those kind of programs are all running together. Um, but we also follow the low-variance curriculum from, um, uh, from CE in terms of literacy and you know we are looking into now how do we how do we work on that science of reading competently in our three to six space so that's a direction and an area that we really want to learn more about I'm really interested about the um, knowledge rich units and the opportunity to develop vocab with our students and to you know research sort of says that the best vocab is from a book that you're reading and from engaging in um, making sense of different words like I think trying to think of an example you know looking at morphology and root words and you know aqua water and then you think aqueducts you know that type of stuff so that's what I'm really interested in for our three to six space. This is really great hearing about what you've learned and um, being able to share that with our listeners. Can you tell us a bit about HITP, High Impact Teaching Practices? What, what, what are these? Oh, look, <laughs> I feel like we have come a very long way in terms of um, what are our high impact teaching practices. I'm looking at your wall right behind you and you have high impact teaching practice visible in every classroom. That's one of our goals as a system. So the best way to describe it is that it's particular practices that we can use in the classroom to just create more effective learning environments. I think that um, us as teachers have always done a really good job with that. There are some teachers that do amazing jobs with scaffolding and, you know, we have always taught um, information when it's new. We've provided worked examples, but this is more of a structure on how we can deliver um, information in a sequenced way to build upon and to engage and to allow um, students to better engage with their learning. Do you have any examples of some of these high impact teaching practices? Up, up, you've given worked examples as one of them. Okay, so what I would say in terms of high impact um, teaching practices is that really referring back to Rosenshine's principles of instruction, um, things like sequencing knowledge in you know your small steps. So with each small step, there's got to be practice at each stage. So we need to break down our concepts and our procedures, um, you know, like a, a math problem, for example, or a writing problem. We introduce it into small steps and then we practice those small steps. And that seemed, that would align with cognitive load theory too. Absolutely. Yeah. And they all, they, you know, that's the beauty. It all kind of aligns together. But even things like I spoke before, um, the importance of worked examples, just to reduce that cognitive load. One of the programs like Maths Mastery, for example, has um, lots of scaffolding to begin with. And then once the students have um, worked around, so after that fifth round, they don't need as much scaffold because they have that knowledge. 
and then they're really practicing it and then it's sort of taken out and then it's brought back in. Um, so it's, it is that opportunity scaffolding is needed to develop expertise and it just allows for, you know, that support and it reduces that cognitive overload. Um, I guess it's also gradually withdrawing those particular scaffold once they they know that information. So yeah, the 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 sequence is really um, is really important. I think I'd I'd probably sort of use the analogy or the example of um, you know when you have training wheels on a bike. You know once you know where that you've got that balance, you can remove those training wheels. So that's you know that's where we're at with scaffolding. Uh, I think that. Um, I don't know if you want to, like the daily reviews are really important when it comes to high impact teaching practices, but we also need to think that high impact teaching practices are not just daily reviews. So it's not death by PowerPoint. It's not always having to do a PowerPoint in order to um, support our students. Um, but one thing I do like about the um, high impact teaching practices is that there's a real change to accountability in students' learning. There's a lot of misconceptions that a daily review is not necessarily hitting the mark for all students, and I would disagree with that. Um, One thing for us as teachers is that it gives us a real view very quickly about 80% mastery. We can instantly check if our students have understand have understood what we have taught them, um, which then means that there's more accountability from our students. So I think about um, the expectations around learning and how far and how how different that has been because of the high impact teaching practices that we have in our classroom. You know, we used to sort of have that opportunity for our students to go off and write for twenty minutes and read for twenty minutes, or you know, do this maths task but then from a teacher perspective we never actually got to those students right there we might have we might have and and amazing teachers would have done that regularly but I know from my point of view there were times where I'd get to mark the the book at the end of the day and I'd go oh my gosh this student has not got this particular task so these high impact teaching practices allow for us to really get that 80% mastery before we move on to something new so um you know, I, I I really enjoy and we are now seeing high impact teaching practices across every classroom at our school, but you're seeing it across every school when you go around. So it's really exciting. Now, my next question, I've asked um, all of the interviewees that I've had a chat to, I'm really interested to know your answer to because of all your background reading and listening is, what do you know now that you didn't know before? And what do you do now that you didn't do before? Do you know, I probably should have listened to that end question a bit more, Luke, when I went back on your podcast. I have listened to the ones and the people that you've interviewed. So what do I know now? Um, Wow, that's pretty good. Um, That's big. I think I, I think to begin with, I was frustrated with so many elements of teaching. I remember feeling really deflated and really frustrated particularly with my own children and how not like, you know, not just the children that I taught, but my own children when it came to um, reading. And I feel like, you know, we celebrated successes. We read and we still read every night. I taught multiple ways to assist 
I think teachers out there might remember that Skippy Frog and the Eagle Eye. Do you remember that? I do. And the, you know, have a look at the pictures. Um, oh, gosh, I just, I just know so much more now. And no matter how many people were reading with some children, no matter how much rich literature there was in the classroom or on my bookshelves at home, um, no matter how much we were working with them and our students and our children, they still just weren't reading. And how can there be a love of reading if they can't read? So for me, I now know that, um, you know, we have to be engaging our students more and that there is a better way to teach our children how to read. I guess what I would have, what I would say is that, you know, when that, what I know now is that on this beginning journey, there was lots of conversation from teachers and from, um, you know, people where, you know, this goes against all my pedagogy and children don't need to be taught, you know, explicitly. And I now know and very much disagree with that. Yes, I think they do. Actually not think. Yes, they do. They need these skills to be automatic so that their cognitive load is reduced and so that they can learn more. I also know a lot more about um, how my knowledge can really assist and support other people on their journey. So to me, it's about educating ourselves, looking at the evidence, sharing, holding hands, you know, talking. Um, I know so much more than I did before. And now I'm just working on really empowering others and the teachers that I work with every day who are just phenomenal and amazing and simply just supporting them to know more. Because I think that if our teachers know more, then our students' results and not just results, but our students are going to learn more. I think as well, what I know more and what I do more of is that there has to be more structure around particular programs and how they're implemented. And I feel that our students now are really thriving for that extra structure. So they know how to achieve now, they understand what is expected and they see, and we as educators are seeing more engagement with learning because of this. So it's not perfect. We are still working on extending students more, like I said before, but we are having so much more progress in our students being more attentive and more accountable to their learning. So the whole process has um, just been an amazing experience. Well, Maggie, thanks for sharing with us your knowledge about Catalyst. I'll list all of the literature and podcasts you mentioned earlier in the podcast in case any of our listeners are interested. It's been really interesting chatting with you today. Oh, thanks, Luke. It's been wonderful to be on the other side of a podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for joining us on Teacher Insights. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in learning more about Catalyst, check out the website, catalyst.cg.catholic.edu.au. Until next time, keep learning.